Good morning. Grace and peace to you. Thank you, Jimmy, for the songs. The intent of our lesson this morning, if you uh, looked on the website, or I think it's on Facebook too, we always, Rick always puts up a teaser, is not to be a downer or to get people depressed about life. But it's to help us face the reality of life. So many people out there are just kind of living in a fantasy world and not really recognizing that life has beginning and end. And uh, that life is limited and we don't know what those limits are. You know, the scripture says three score and ten years and maybe four score. And, of course, we know some people live beyond that into their 90s. And as I look around this room, I know some of us have reached the three score and ten. Some of us are getting very close to it. Some have passed that. Some uh, have passed the four score. And, again, this is not to be a downer. You know, every evening I scan the obituaries, and you know the old joke, to see if I'm still alive. It's okay to smile, but that's an old one. But we see in there folks in their 80s and 90s, but also see some people in their 20s and in their 30s. And occasionally there's the little one, the infant. The point is, whether you have 100 years or 10 years, whether it's 33 or 93, the time is short compared to life eternal. The time is short. There are things to do and things that need done. And we... One of our weaknesses as a human race tend to put things off. How many of you procrastinate? Come on now. I know you do. And we especially put off the things that are most important because they are the hardest things to do, aren't they? You know, we can do some of the easy things. Yeah, okay, I'll do that. But the hard thing, you know, we, we've got to give something up. We've got to learn. We've got to change. We tend to put that off. And we don't have time to put it off. Because before you know it, it's too late. It's too late. And it's something we really needed to do, and we haven't done it. So we need to make every day count. The old Latin expression, carpe diem, seize the day. We're not talking about foolishness here. We're doing crazy things without thinking them through. But we are saying time is of the essence, and you need to make the most of the time that you have. 
So we're going to work our way through Psalm 39. Here David wants God to impress upon him those very thoughts, that my life is short, all right? And then we're going to wrap it up with some admonitions and exhortations to all of us. Psalm 39.1, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I refrained even from good, and my sorrow grew worse. My heart was hot within me while I was musing, the fire burned, and I spoke with my tongue. As you look through the rest of this psalm, and it's almost always the case with David when he writes like this, he's got enemies, okay? And he doesn't usually identify who they are, what the situation is, but he's got enemies, he's got problems, and he's struggling with something, all right? So he goes to God where we should always go when we have problems, first of all. Uh, maybe his enemies have the upper hand at this point, I don't know. We know there were times when David was... You know, even before he became uh, king, when Saul was chasing him around, and then even later on, his own son uh, rebelled against him. You know, he was always having problems of some kind. But here it seems like, the way I'm reading this, he wants to question God about his situation. But he's in the presence of the wicked. And so he doesn't want to dare do that in the presence of the wicked, because that might make God look bad or make him look bad or it's just not a good situation, all right, uh, for him to do that. So he's kind of refraining here from doing that. But at the end of verse 3, it's like, I finally, I finally just had to do it. Things were just so, so difficult that I just had to bring this up. When we want to talk with God about our situation, about our problems. We really need to do that alone. Uh, sometimes we have a tendency to just start ranting and we tear God down in front of people. And that's never good. <clears throat> it's never good. Even if you're upset with God in a certain situation, as David often was, it's never d good to do that in the, in the presence of other people because that gives a bad impression on God and on you. So David is struggling here. He's got problems. The wicked are surrounding him. He says, Lord, make me to know my end. What is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Now, I'm sure that David understood that nobody lived forever. David was not a dummy. He knew the brevity of life, all right? He knew people didn't live like they did, you know, his ancestors way back, even 900 years, which still, in comparison to eternity, is a short time, isn't it? It's a short time. You know, I bet when, when I think of 900 years, and maybe you thought of 900 years, and you thought, wow, I'd have a lot of time to do stuff, right? I could put off for 300 years what I really needed to do tomorrow. That's just the way we think, isn't it? For some reason. 
But he wants impressed upon him. He's asking God, let me impress upon me this knowledge that I am transient and life is short in the extent of my days. You know, life is relatively short compared to what God has planned for his people. I mean, we really need to reflect on that at times. The future. I've been reading a, in fact, I finished the book called All Things New, about new heavens and a new earth. Uh, really uh, encouraged me about, you know, life, in a sense, does not end. You know? This life does. But our life, if we're in Christ, does not end. We just really have the tendency just to think about these years and now. But we really need to think beyond this life. That it won't end. And if we're thinking and believing in the new heavens and the new earth, and there's a whole lot that's going to happen in that that's going to, we're just going to be filled with joy, it's going to be excitement, there's going to be a lot to do. But you will still be you. Yes, you will. In a new place. But I digress a little bit there. But the point is not, oh my goodness, I'm going to die soon. help me to remember that this life is short and if I'm enduring trouble and problems like David here and have enemies that I don't have to endure that for very long. Not for very long. In comparison. In comparison. Help me to make the most of my days. Verse 5. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Selah. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. Compared to the eternal God who inhabits eternity, our lifetime is nothing. This doesn't mean that we are nothing, but on the contrary, God has made us, and he has loved us, and has given us a great future, and his son has died for us. But it means God is the standard for comparison of the brevity of life. God has been around forever. Literally. I can't imagine. You know, we think some, some old guys say, well, how old are you? And they say, I'm as old as dirt. God is older than dirt. Um, and once again, I cannot fathom that he has always existed. Always. He does not have a beginning. I can't grasp that. And he invites us through Christ Jesus into that eternity that he inhabits. 
to go on now forever. Amazing. Incredible. There in verse 6, it's good to remember that our earthly wealth, our status, our position, whatever it is that we have here, remains here. You know the little uh, commercial message about Las Vegas, which I do not like at all. Whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, which I think is very, very negative and suggestive. But it's really true about the earth. Whatever happens on the earth stays on the earth. It'll be gone. That's why the scriptures say, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Treasure in heaven, not on the earth. Like David says here, people walk around, they're phantoms, they make an uproar about nothing, you know, they come, people come and go, whether you're a president, a king, or whether you're uh, somebody that pushes a broom and, and uh, you know, chops celery somewhere, you come and you go. you're gone. Life is short. You know, I'm not, I'm not making fun of those who push brooms and chop salary because they're very important jobs. Every person is important. Every person has a soul. And God loves every person. But it doesn't matter who you are. Your life is short. Life is short. Verse 7. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. Here is the central part, the key to this psalm, and it's really the key to life, if you will. Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Period. That's it. Not only does the Lord hold the future, he is the future. Jesus is the future. He's all there is. He holds everything together now, and he's everything in eternity. And God is faithful, and he's able to keep these promises which he made to us. He has the heart, he has the love, he cannot lie, he has the power that he will do it, he will bring it to pass. We read that in several places in the prophets in the Old Testament. You know, when the people doubt, well, can he really do this? Can he really save us? Yes, he can. And he will, and he does. He will bring us through to the end. God will save us. Verse 9. I have become mute. I do not open my mouth because it is you who have done it. Remove your plague from me because of the opposition of your hand I am perishing. With reproofs you chasten a man for iniquity. You consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a mere breath. Salah. David acknowledging his transgressions, his iniquity. And here we might see that he's even feeling the chastening hand of God, the disciplining hand of God upon him in this present situation. 
but he still hopes in God, but he wants God to remove his hand. Now, Lord, ease up a little bit. Ease up a little bit. How often is it that we see our sufferings as God's hand upon us? When something bad happens, I don't know where you go, all right? You just get mad and upset. You get upset maybe at somebody that did something to you. Do you perhaps see that it's the devil behind it because he started all this stuff with evil and wickedness? You get upset with the devil? Or do you ever see that perhaps it is God's hand upon you? As God's hand was upon Job in all his suffering. And he's trying to accomplish something in and through you and with you through this current set of circumstances that you're enduring. And if so, do you ask, what, what might it be? Lord, show me what it is. What's going on here? Do you talk to God that way? What is the reason for this problem and situation? Is it just because, you know, I'm part of the human race and I'm getting old? Or is there something you're doing to me that you really want me to learn? More patience, more love, more trust, more faith. There's always the spiritual element to all things that happen. Let's go to verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent in my tears, for I'm a stranger with you, a sojourner with all my fathers. Turn your gaze away from me, that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. He's a stranger, but he's not by himself. I love that thought. He said, I'm a stranger with you. With you. You are my hope. All right, I'm walking with you through this place. It's like all my fathers. Sojourn. You know, we read uh, early on there in part of the book of Genesis as we read the, uh, the ancestry there starting with Adam. Adam lived and he begat Seth and so forth and so on and then Adam lived so many years and he died. And then it talks, and then Seth, he uh, begat sons and daughters, and he lived so many years, and he died. And then the next guy, and he lived so many years, and he died. You know, that's just not there to show us people live for 900 and some years. That's there to show us this is what happens to the human race. Every one of us. Life is short. And we will all die. Not meant to be a downer, but to face reality. Life is short. God is our hope. He's our only hope. You know, we're like Abraham. You know, Abraham was not allowed to erect a permanent dwelling in the land of Canaan. He had to dwell in a tent. And that's another lesson for us. That he was, God was teaching all of us through Abraham that we are sojourners 
or temporary residence here in this life. Abraham moved around all over the land of Canaan in his tents. He was down in Egypt, but he never built a house. And that was for a purpose, for him to know you're a temporary resident here on this planet. But we are going somewhere. We are going somewhere. And it's a place beautiful, marvelous, wonderful, filled with goodness and grace and glory where Jesus is. But while we're here, we have tasks to complete, things to do, assignments from God, challenges. We need to grow in the Lord. We need to be a blessing to others. We're not to waste our time. Life is short. We need to be about, as Jesus said in the temple, I need to be about my Father's business. So, as we kind of wrap things up, what are the things which you need to be doing? And I'm talking to me as well. But what are the things you need to be doing? What have you put off? Because life is short. Do you have fences to mend? someone in your life that you're still at odds with that you need to forgive or you need to ask for forgiveness is there that takes us to the title of our lesson what are you waiting for what life is short Do you have prayers that you need to offer? Maybe you don't pray at all. What do you think? Maybe you just offer a little prayer when you sit down to eat. Is that it? Is that the example of prayer presented to us in Scripture? How much we should be talking with our Heavenly Father, laying everything at His feet, asking His help and every moment of life drawing closer to him. You need to pray for people in your life. You need to pray for yourself because you see your weaknesses and faults. The question is, what are you waiting for? What? And some of us want that special invitation from God, a vision. You want to be stopped on your way to work like, like Saul was on a road to Damascus? By Jesus himself, somebody knocks on your door and there's an angel? Is that what we're waiting for? What is it you need to do? You know better than I. But as I say these things, I'm sure they're coming to your mind and heart of what you need to do. Maybe you start, need to start reading and studying God's book. When is the last time you opened it at home?
seriously and dove into it and delighted in it and wanted to learn and know more about Jesus Christ. What are you waiting for? There's so much here. So much. And we have such a... There's so much here, no one can dig it all out in a lifetime of a hundred years. I know that. But there's so much to learn and know. And it helps us so much in this life. Is there someone that you need to tell the gospel story? Boy, they, we procrastinate this one. Wow. Someone in your life, a friend, family member, co-worker, neighbor. You're not getting any younger and neither are they. What are you waiting for? What? Why are we waiting? You need to make some changes in your own personal lifestyle. Things you're doing you know you should not. Quite plain to you, maybe even written right in the scripture. But you even know in your conscience you need to do differently. What are you waiting for? If it's the word of God, if you know that's what you should do, what do we wait for? Service in the church. There's something else you need to be doing. You need to step up. How many of us wait to be personally asked rather than volunteer? When we see a problem, we see a situation, we just kind of hold back. Is that the heart of Christ? What do we wait for? What's going on? Maybe you need to do better with your husband or your wife. The relationship is not good. It's just kind of bleh. Maybe you're at odds with one another. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us how we ought to live that way with one another, husbands and wives. When's the last time you read it? What are you waiting for? God to come back? Children, are we rearing them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, impressing upon them that Jesus Christ should have first place in our hearts and lives? Praying with them, teaching them at home. What are we waiting for? I could ask another dozen questions. Hopefully I've opened doors, thoughts, 
in your heart and mind. But you see, the point is not, oh my goodness, we're going to die tomorrow, but the, oh my goodness, there's time is short, there's so much I need to do. Let me get it done, Father. Help me to do it. Show me what I need to do first. Help me have your mind and your heart. And then for some of us here, do you need to obey the gospel? Come to Christ Jesus all humility in accepting him as Christ, as Savior, and submitting to baptism and to Christ. Do you believe that he's the Son of God? Believing's good. That's a start. But it's just a start. What are you waiting for? I can't answer that. What are you waiting for? Maybe you need prayer this morning. You've been struggling with something for a long time and you just can't, can't get past it. You know you need prayer. You know you need help. But you just kind of live with it. What are you waiting for? God doesn't want you to live in misery of sin. He wants you to be free to serve him, to serve others. We're here to help, not just me, but Mike, Mike, Don, Rick. If you have a situation, you'd like for us to pray with you and anything else going on. Brother Jim's going to lead us in a song. And I'll just leave you with the question. What are you waiting for? Brother Jim.